0: Grace to you and peace, faith family. And it was a very quiet word of the Lord. Very quiet. I love you, Matt. I'm very grateful for you, my brother. So if you're joining with us this morning, we are in a series in the book of Proverbs. And if we were to sit back for just a moment and we were to have conversation with one another, and we would consider that what are some of the core desires of the human heart and when I really wrestled with this in my own life as I was pondering this uh, whole series, I do believe that one of the core realities of the human heart and core desires of the human heart is to live a good life. Uh, regardless of where you come from, your background, regardless of where you are now, I think most and many of our, um, of our drives and our desires is for that purpose. I mean, how many of you in here don't want to live a good life, right? Right? Most of you do what you do, whether it be your employment, whether it be through your family, whether it be through your friends, you want to live a good life. As a matter of fact, I would even say most of our activities are directed towards this manner. And Proverbs, along with two other books, the book of Ecclesiastes and the book of Job, they are canonically in the Bible, they are seen as the three wisdom literature books. Three books uh, that are meant to bring us wisdom in the Old Testament. And when we look at all three of them together, I think that it provides us an amazing perspective on not only how to achieve the good life, but what do we do in th- with the exceptions. Uh, when we look at this, answering for us the question, what does it actually mean for us to live well? And that's what we're wanting to do. We're, as a faith family, we're wanting to live Well, we're wanting to live a good life, Uh, and and Proverbs comes in, and it begins this three-part series, providing us with these general truths that tell us how to live wisely. Again, a proverb is a general truth. We're going to look at that later, but it's a general truth on how that we are to live with wisdom. Furthermore, this living wisely, quote-unquote, will aid us in living and having the good life. So if I live wisely, that helps me have the good life that I need to have, that I want to have, because wisdom is necessary for this good life. But I know as far as I can tell from making disciples and been in this for a minute, that when you begin to talk to people and disciple them specifically about wisdom and through the book of Proverbs, what typically happens is it inevitably begs two questions that living this life seems to ask. And the first one is, I'm trying to live the good life, Pastor, but what happens when my life seems to be meaningless? When I can't find purpose, when I can't find, I want to live the good life, but it seems like my entire existence is wrapped up in vanity. And then secondly, how do we live the good life when it goes so unexpected? When good things happen to bad people or bad things happen to good people and we sit back and we look at these things and those are the two questions that normally come through this idea of wanting to live the good life. Number one, how do I live the good life when I have no meaning? And number two, what happens when life doesn't go as I want it to? And so for you, I would say that what we're going to do in this series over the next four weeks, five weeks total if you take last week, we're going to look at what does it mean to live the good life? What does it look to be, live wisely so that you can live the good life? And if you are here this morning and you have the other two questions, how do I live the good life without meaning? I'm going to point you to the book of Ecclesiastes. If you were to ask me how do I live life, a good life when all of, all of life seems to be going against me, I would point you to the book of Job. Obviously, I can't preach through all three of these books in a five-week series, but I do think that this is very, very key for us. And I the reason I want to share that with you is sometimes what we do is we look at not only I, I received a letter recently where an individual took particular verses in their, in their context and they I suggest it, right? They wanted the verse to say what they wanted it to say, and they put it in the letter to me. Correcting me on something and they made the verse say whatever they wanted it to say and that's what our culture does That's what the church has done for centuries. So it doesn't shock me. I kind of look at it and go That's what I would expect Uh, because what we like to do is we like to take the verse and make it what we mean and So what we want to be able to do and for those of you here that are looking for exceptions and looking in those questions I would tell you to continue reading but for now in the next few weeks I want us to look at the book of Proverbs and last week we began our series and we entitled it Lady Wisdom. And we were introduced to Proverbs where we observed the eightfold purposes of this book and then we observed the overarching theme of the book. The eightfold purposes I'm not going to go over with you, but if you wanted to read that for yourself, you can go back to chapter 1 verses uh, basically 2 through 6. And the eightfold purposes are going to be found with the word 2. And you can find those for yourself. But the, the overall idea here, the overarching theme of the book, uh, furthermore, is uh, the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, and fools despise wisdom and discipline. And the outworking of this book, the, remain, the, rem, uh, the remainder of Proverbs is for that purpose. It's for us to fear the Lord, because the fear of the Lord, the awe of God, the wonder of God brings us back to the space in which we truly find knowledge wisdom and understanding I want also to remind us that proverbs are to be rightly viewed as general proofs uh, general truths excuse me and not eternal promises the book of proverbs are rightly understood as general truths and not eternal promises. Now, why do you say that, pastor? It's because if you don't understand the genre, you you will take a proverb and you will apply it as a promise when it was never meant as a promise, it was meant as a general truth. In other words, it doesn't always happen, but generally it does happen. Generally, this is true. So a lot of times during this uh, next four-week series, you're gonna hear me using this word, generally a lot and the reason I want you to know that is because I've been in your seat and I'm the one I am the one Shay, me and Shay and I were talking about this Friday that if when I sit down and I listen usually I'm looking for the exception to the rule I don't know about y'all but I'm the boundary finder right I was that kid I'm gonna I'm gonna hey the boundary's here let's see if there's a gate to the boundary let's see if I can step outside of this a little bit I'm that guy so I, I want you to know that with Proverbs the whole purpose of Proverbs is for the purpose of general truth, and not an eternal promise. And I think this helps us. It helps us quite, uh, quite uh, dramatically, if you will, because then we can sit back and go, yes, I can see this, it's absolutely, generally true. And this morning, we're gonna look at one of the four passages in the first chapters of Proverbs, the first nine chapters of Proverbs, where the writer comes in, and he illustrates wisdom as a woman. And he actually illustrates her in this idea. And this morning's message is going to come as a series and is entitled The Call of Lady Wisdom. Now let me say this just, as, uh, just for grins and giggles. Uh, wisdom is not a woman. It is a personification of wisdom as a woman, okay? I just want to make sure that all of you are aware of this because not every man you meet is an idiot and all women are wise, and vice versa, not all men you meet are wise and all women you meet are idiots, right? So I don't want us to walk out of here, especially for those of you who are female, to walk out of here and you go, see honey, I told you, ladies are wise. No, no, that is back to eisegesis and that's not what we want. We want to understand what's happening. Now, some of you are sitting here going, well, that's common sense. Well, I want to beg your pardon, I want to ask for your forgiveness up front because I have found I don't know if you have found this, but in our common day, common sense ain't too common. So I wanna go ahead and just lay that out there for all of you to hear. And so this morning, title, this morning sermon is titled The Call of Lady Wisdom. The Call of Lady Wisdom. And I, and I have seen this as I talk about it, um, and you're gonna hear me talk about this a little bit later, so often when I talk to people about wisdom, it becomes more like an ambiguous metaphysical search for something than something that is obvious. We, we come out there and we think that there is something deeper to what's actually being said. You will hear this a lot from politicians. I don't know, there was one recently, one of our po- political uh, pundits came on and she was asked a question and when she got done with the answer, nobody in the world knew what she was talking about. It was just like, I don't know what you just said, but it was a bunch of words that made no sense, right? Again, we go back to common sense, so... Um, but I, I have seen that wisdom now is seen as some ambiguous metaphysical search. But I want to ask you, is this so? Is wisdom, and for those of you who are of older, think about this, was wisdom when you were growing up, and is wisdom today a hidden treasure waiting to be frown, found? Or could wisdom be more like a woman calling from her house saying, come, come and be with me? If she is calling, and wisdom is calling, if she is calling, then how are we going to answer? Or will we answer? Do you want to be wise? Do you want to be wise? That's a great question to ask today, yes? Do you want to be wise? Or do you want to just be a fool? You know, we have elevated certain foolishness in our community, in our our culture. We have elevated it as though it is wise, which boggles my mind. One of them you're going to be very familiar with, if you've been under my preaching for any time, it's the idea of being agnostic. You know, for me, I was growing up and I was going in school and uh, I was told that agnosticism was something to be valued. And you have these brilliant... uh, philosophers in great colleges that are teaching philosophy but they're agnostic now I want you to think about this because when you look at the word agnostic gnosco means to know ah means no negative it's the negative so ah gnosco agnostic means no knowledge and they're teaching our kids huh you got that going for you which is nice now if you translated agnostic into Latin The direct translation of agnostic into Latin is the word ignoramus I don't think I have to go much further how in the world did we get here where agnostics are seeing as being wise and wise people are seeing as being foolish because what we have done is we have turned the foolish into wise and the wise into being fools hello holler say amen if you can't say ouch right So what I want us to do (coughs) in this study of Lady Wisdom, the very first thing we're going to do this morning is I want to talk to you about the call of Lady Wisdom. And in this call, I want to talk to you specifically about the possibility of your refusal. So the first thing we're going to see in verses 20 through through 23 is the call proclaimed. The call proclaimed. And of course here, you're going to pick up with wisdom being personified. Reminding us or revealing to us that wisdom... Uh, to what what wisdom is before we start thinking about this idea, or the, before we start asking her what she's calling, what she does, I want you to be reminded of what wisdom is, because this is where we need to understand. We do know that wisdom. Last week we learned that wisdom flows from the fountain of the fear of God, chapter one, verse seven. The theme of the entire book. So as as will become apparent in our study, what we what I, what I want us to see is that wisdom. Is the personified mind of God. It's the personified idea of the mind of God in His creation. In other words, wisdom is God's mind in the practical affairs of life. So, what would God think in the practical affairs of life would, by the way, ladies and gentlemen, in essence be wise. So, what does this mean? this makes wisdom in essence divine this makes your desire for wisdom in essence a search if you will for god himself because if god himself is wise and the fear of the lord is the beginning of wisdom then therefore to search for wisdom is the search for god (laughs) haha agnostics you don't even know what you're talking about right you're searching for god and didn't even know it right And that's what I love. God always has a sense of humor in this whole thing. So faith family, where we see, where we see her wisdom, where we see her in her authority, where we see wisdom in her words, where we see wisdom in her promises, where we see wisdom in her threats, where we see wisdom in her truth, all of these are ultimately of God. And that which is not of God is not God wise. So, I want to tell you the definition for wisdom, um, and I probably should have texted Rick because he's preaching a message on this series. I probably should have said, hey, this is what I'm going to go with. Uh, so, Rick, if, if, if this hurts you, brother, um, change your sermon. So, here we go. <laughs> that's that's why you got you to preach it first, right? You got to get it out there first so that, so that everybody else has to react. Uh, so wisdom for this series is the mind of God in his creation wisdom is the mind of God in his creation therefore ladies and gentlemen our ability to judge correctly in a way that follows the best course of action is necessarily based on the right and true knowledge and understanding of God and from God's perspective. Now now that's a very important statement. It was a big long statement. It could have been a run-on sentence for those of you who are English majors, but I want to, I want to restate it because it's so very important. Because if you're wondering what has happened to wisdom and why we are so foolish, I would tell you That it's rooted ultimately in what we're believing or not believing about God so let me let me say it again our ability humanity's ability to judge correctly in a way that follows the best course of action is necessarily based on the right and true knowledge and understanding of God from God's perspective so if so facto if there is no God what is going to be the outcome of our search for wisdom? If God is wisdom, then He by necessity is at its core. And I want you to notice what she does here. It says uh, what we're going to get at. So we talked about what wisdom is. Now, what I want you to see what she does. It says that she shouts in the streets, lifts her voice in the square, at the head of the noisy street she cries out, and at the entrance of the gate in the city she utters her sing. Now before we say what she says, I want you to focus on how she says it. Notice the words here that are, that are emphasized. The words here are she shouts, she lifts her voice, she cries out, she Utters. listen to me ladies and gentlemen lady wisdom wisdom is not quietly meandering through the corners and back alleys she is shouting in parenting words she is using her outside voice because she wants to be heard I want you to notice all the locations the locations that it was spoken of here, they are all public. They are all open. The streets, by the way, that is literally translated the wide spaces. The streets, the wide spaces, they are connected with the adjective of meaning broad or wide. She cries at the head or the crossroads of the noisy streets. Notice, the entrance of the gates. The entrance of the gates in the Old Testament, by the way, ladies and gentlemen, is the place of community and commerce and court. It's where community was found. It's where where commerce was uh, engaged in, and it's where the courts were held. So this is the place in which all of the community comes together. I th- I, I read this, and I want you to know. Often, often our assumption is that wisdom is like this hidden, hidden treasure to be found through labor, or this quiet voice to be discovered through some extraordinary spiritual exercise. But here we see that generally, wisdom is personified as public, loud, seen, and aggressive. Generally, wisdom, or the mind of God in creation, is not whispering, it's screaming at us. And, and here we are in our culture today, and we can't even define what human is, much less what a man is, much less what a woman is. We can't even define anything, and you wonder why. And we sit back and we wonder, how did we get to this? It doesn't take long, does it? And and we are sitting here, having known God and who he is, having seen him in his word, having obviously seen in Genesis chapter one that he created male and female, he created them male and and female and obviously distinct, obviously real, obviously true, and we're sitting here in the church and, and we as believers sit here and go, Can't what have you ever not said this? What? I mean, I have said it. I have said it literally, literally. What? Are you not seeing? What are you not seeing? It's obvious. It's common sense. I want you to think of this in your life. Think of this in our culture where obviously wisdom is upon us, yet we still refuse it. Uh, What what I want to ask you is now that we can look at our culture and we do a good job of that We can see our culture. I want you to ask this about your own life I want you to go back in your own life and look back in your own life and you now you're going well duh That wasn't wise Right I could name you many things in my life that weren't wise and it's none of your business None of your business But I can name you many of things and kids be quiet not a word but you look back now you look back and you go well that was stupid so let me ask you this and you have to do some introspection here right? you have to do some heart searching why did you make the decision if it was so obvious what was happening in your mind and your heart that would choose you to do the obviously unwise thing and to do that which is foolish shh And now you're finding yourself looking a lot like the culture yes man I can identify I can I can identify so ladies and gentlemen next in this call we're gonna by the way we're gonna get to the answer to that question a little bit later but what I want you to see is next in this call we are introduced to three questions three questions directed to three different people and what to me seems to be a progression now, I could be wrong in the progression part, but it seems to me that the, the author is progressing. First, how long will you love being simple-minded? How long will you love being simple-minded? It's directed to those naive or those simple-minded people that we were introduced to last week. I'm not going to berate that again, but y'all, if y'all want to go back and listen to it, you're more than welcome to. These simple-minded, these naive, these are those who were indifferent through thoughtlessness and inconsiderate to her voice. Now, what you're finding out is probably the the, the very core of why you didn't listen to the obvious back then. Maybe, this is just me, I know I can speak of this on my own behalf, maybe it was because I was stupid. Uh Uh-huh. I was being foolish. I was naive. I was thoughtless to that which was wise. I didn't want to listen to the truth. And instead of listening to the truth, I wanted to do what I wanted to do. Because after all, isn't the truth of the matter is true freedom is doing what you want to do when you want to do it. The answer to that, by the way, is no. We can get to that later. So how long will you be love being simple minded? Often, I hear men say this when I'm speaking to them, especially when I'm speaking to them in words that are a little, bit, um, a little bit complex, or ideas that are complex, say like, I don't know, the Trinity. And this is what they will say, I'm just a simple-minded man. I'm just a simple-minded man. As though that's a character trait to be honored. I'm just simple-minded. Well... let me just let me just step back and i don't understand since when did a simplicity naivety in our mind become something that we would cherish instead of actually becoming wise so she calls the naive because as we said last week the naive are open to evil And the naive are those who are open to lies. Why why are the naive open to lies? Because they are thoughtless, because they are inconsiderate to the voice of wisdom. The reason that they they, they can not see the truth, they cannot see the evil, is because of that very reality. They're open to Satan's schemes. And they're open to Satan's ways. Why? Because they don't consider truth and they don't consider reality, which, by the way, is truth. And typically, when I start this kind of talk, I get into these conversations. Come on, pastor. I just want to have a good time, and I want to enjoy life. I don't want to think about all that. That's way too deep. All of what? What is it that you don't want to think about? Naive one. You see, I want to tell you this, what you don't want to think about because you want to have a good time and enjoy life is the very things that are going to ultimately strip you of the good and the joy and the life that you want. So I'm trying to help you, I'm trying to come before you, and I'm trying to help you up front know that you want this because the good life that you're looking for will only come through this. The second group of people that he mentions here are those who delight themselves in scoffing. Known as scoffers or mockers, which by the way, just for the record, naive tend to turn into. Because you're naive, you don't make wise decisions, you want to have the good life. Somebody's coming in and telling you what it takes to be wise and have the good life. And what do you become? You become a scoffer. You become a mocker. Those are scoffers and mockers. These are those who now hold in things in derision. They have a contempt for God's works. They have a contempt for God's ways. Why? Because now they have tested the boundaries and they think now that the boundaries are restrictions for the good life and not the blessings of a good life. It's like playing shoots playing and ladders with a two-year-old. Have you ever played shoots and ladders with a two-year-old? The chutes do ladders, the ladders do shoots, and the next thing you know, you've lost. And why did you lose? Because to the two-year-old, the naive, the rules don't work for them. So what they do is they change the rules so that the rules work for them, but they don't understand they're actually no longer playing chutes and ladders. And that's what scoffers and mockers do. We come out of this and we realize at the end of it we're, not, we're no longer playing the game of the good life. Oh, oh, and by the way, what do we do right after that, y'all? Where's God? Oh, we're gonna get there, hold on, that's coming. Right now, she's just calling, so y'all just listen. So if you're naive, I would say, I need you to listen. If you're scoffing right now and you're mocking right now, I would say, this is the time in which wisdom is trying to call out to you, hopefully through my voice, and if not through my voice, through the voice of God's creation in this world, and he's trying to tell you, stop, listen, God's work and God's ways are better than yours. And third, the third group, so we move from naivete into scoffing and now we are with those who hate knowledge and what are they called fools and fools hate knowledge those who no longer give thoughts to their ways instead when you don't give thoughts to your ways, when you don't give thoughts to what God has done, when you don't give thoughts to God's works, to God's ways, to God's will, what do you begin to do? This is not rocket science, yo. What does the Bible say you do when you don't pay attention to God's works? You start walking in what? The desires of what? The flesh. You start walking in the desires of the flesh, you start walking in the desires of your vain imagination of your heart, Now, here's what we typically do. The naive, were stupid. The fool is not stupid in this Bible. The fool is not stupid here. It says that the fools hate knowledge. So what do the fools know? Knowledge. It's not that they don't know it. It's that they know it and they hate it. Now, you may ask the question, why would we hate knowledge? I don't know. Why do you? Why do we? Here it is. It's because because knowledge of truth, good, and beauty restrains us from the propensity to do what we want to do, which is sin. That's why. Because knowledge of what is true, what is good, and what is beautiful will restrain us from our propensity to doing what we want to do. One translation has it like this. He says, how long, oh fools, will you fight the facts? I like that. How long, oh fools, will you fight the facts? Now, that is a biblical statement that I'm going to begin to quote. I'm not on Twitter, I'm not on any of those social platforms, but if I was, every time I saw something of foolishness, I would just say that simple statement. How long, oh you fools, will you fight the facts? Boys are boys, girls are girls. How long, oh fools, are you going to fight the facts? I don't get it. You're not an animal. You're not a furby. How long, oh fools, will you fight the facts? I could continue, but let me, let me go on here. And I hope you see this, there does seem to be a progression here. Now, if you were to fight me on this, if you were to come to me after and you were to go, Donnie, that's not necessarily a progression, okay, okay, we don't have to fight on that, right? But when I look at this, it causes me to ponder this because experience testifies that often the naive become scoffers and often the scoffers are the very ones who end up becoming fools. Now, I'm saying this, and when I say this, I know what's happening. Immediately in our day and immediately in our time, I'm assumed that I'm now being considered inconsiderate and I am unkind. I am inconsiderate and I am unkind. But I want you to know that's not the case. The language of verses 22 and 23, they are very, very tender. It's a plea from Wisdom. She says, turn to my reproof. She is, verse 23, turn to my reproof. Behold, I will will pour out my spirit on you. I will make my words known to you. She's begging all three of you to come and listen. And if you will, she's going to pour her spirit, the spirit of wisdom. It's not merely that she will. If they do, that's future tense. It's not only she will if they do it, but she would would have if they did it. And to pour out, the word here in the Greek is to bring an abundance, an overflow. It's like a fountain. An abundant fullness and the refreshing that comes from it. I will make my words or my precepts or my truths known to you. I will teach you my words. I will make them clear. I want you to notice here the intimacy between the spirit of wisdom and the words of wisdom. It's the spirit giving us the word and the word giving us the spirit. And here her spirit stands in direct relationship to her words. Can you hear it, church? Can you hear her calling you to repent and believe? Can you hear it, foolish one? Can you hear it, scoffer? Can you hear it, naive? Can you hear it? She is calling you, asking you to come to her if you would but repent. And in her encouragement, there comes this promise. If you will repent, if you turn back to me, I will pour forth my spirit and make known to you my words. What a call. What a call. That's a call. That's a call. Turn to her. She's crying out, and, and I see wisdom here, Lady Wisdom, has a tear in her eye, and an urgency in her voice. Come to me, come to me, come to me. Don't do that. That's the call. But the second thing in verses 24 through 27, we're going to see the call refused. The call refused. There's a noticeable difference now she invited but now the refusal brings about something different now the reason or the cause for her response is fourfold and that's what I want you to see the reason or the cause for her response the way wisdom is now going to respond is fourfold It is because I called wisdom says and you re- you refused you rejected me I called you and you rejected me first It's the willing refusal or the rejection to her call. They didn't like what they heard, so they willingly and absolutely refused her call. Ever been there? You ever been there? Hey, those of you who are moms or dads, you ever had your kid do exactly the opposite of what you told them to do and they end up getting hurt? Hey, moms or dads, you remember when you were a kid and your parents told you what not to do and you—y'all hear me, y'all all with me, right? You all there. So they, they willingly don't do what they, want, what they should do, and instead they do what they want to do. They refuse her call. Second, inattention to her help. She says this. Listen to the passion. I stretched out my hand. I tried to get your attention, and no one paid attention. No one paid attention. So not only did you reject me, you refused to pay me an attention. Third, I gave advice and counsel, and you neglected it. You rendered the very thing that I was trying to use, the counsel and the advice of others who are wiser than you, and you absolutely, it took no effect on you. You see, the counsel was the recommendation for that which is good. I told you what is good, and you neglected it. And fourth, I tried to reprove or correct you, and you, and you listened to what she said, and you did not want it. She tried to reprove against that which was evil. She tried to reprove you against that which was incorrect. She tried to correct you, but you did not want it. Now, church, ladies and gentlemen, young people, I need you to hear me on this because oftentimes what we try to do with our, with our youth and with our kids is we tell them, hey, you know, I know you didn't want to do it. No, no, no. They wanted to do it. You do what you want to do. You are ridiculously in charge of your life. You will do exactly what you want to do. I can't tell you how many times people have sat on my couch in marital counseling. Husband and wife are sitting on the couch. Wife sits there and she goes, you won't believe what he told me this week. What did he tell you? He told me he hated me. And inevitably, what does he tell me? Well, I didn't mean that. Yes, you did. You meant every word you said. Because out of the heart, the mouth speaks. You meant every word you said. Now what you need to do is you need to ask for forgiveness And repent and take responsibility as a man and stop acting like what you say the words out of your mouth isn't your responsibility be a man man up I meant it it hurt I'm sorry I suck etc etc you will never grow in personal life without personal ownership without personal responsibility that's why you often hear me say you will do what you want to do So, this is the fourfold reason. And notice how she responds. What is wisdom's response to this? A twofold response. First, I will also, or in turn, laugh at your calamity. Well, that's not very kind. You rejected her. You wanted nothing to do with her. You told her to get out of your life. And now you're going to have the consequences. I was always told this about consequences. When you pick up a stick, you pick up both ends. Y'all hear me? When you pick up a stick, you pick up both ends. You pick up the stick of a, of an action, the end of one action is going to require a reaction. Always. And first, I will turn and laugh at your calamity in the time in which all of your actions against truth and all of your actions against good are going to bring about their necessary consequences, she is going to laugh at your calamity. Calamity, by the way, is the heavy misfortune that will crush its victim. The natural consequences of wicked, unwise behavior and belief. And she is going to laugh. Ha, ha, ha. Well, you ought not to laugh. You ought not to instruct wisdom on what she ought to do. fool. Wisdom laughs not because of, of she rejoices in your pain. She laughs because you are so foolish to think that you are going to be able to outdo her. That's what wisdom does. Second, not only does she laugh, it says, oh, she's going to go deeper here. I'm, I'm upsetting the whole, the, whole, the whole cart. The whole apple cart today is going to be upset, yo. She not only laughs at, your, at, laughs at it, she says, I will mock when your dread comes, when your fear comes. Now listen to this, because beloved, I'm going to tell you, this is what happens. Wisdom comes, she, she declares to us what we want to do, we refuse her, we do what we want to do, and we go off and we do it, and then all of a sudden we find ourselves in depression and fear, and we are sitting there going, when you are at a place in your life that you are terrified about where you are, you're upset about what you've done, the consequences that you're about to face is all over you, and wisdom is saying, I am going to laugh at you and I'm going to mock you. I told you so. I tried, remember? I reached my hand out to you. I tried. I was there. Remember, you refused me. You pushed me away. It's not funny for us because we're experiencing the consequences. But for her, she stands, she laughs, and she mocks. And ladies and gentlemen, I want to tell you this. When this dread comes, oh, and listen to me, it will come and when it comes she shares two illustrations 27 when your dread comes like a storm and your calamity like a whirlwind it will come and when it does it will come like a storm it will come like a whirlwind two illustrations used from God's nature it's striking how often our first reaction to calamity in our own lives is to blame God while The reason that we often, so generally often, are are experiencing the calamity in our own lives is because we rejected him and the wisdom that he gave us in, in the time. I can't tell you how many times I've sat there and talked about this. Where is God with for me now? God is in the exact same place now that he was when you decided to get addicted to drugs. That's where God, he is sitting on his throne, high and lifted up, exalted he is god of god he ain't gone nowhere he was trying to call out to you with your needle in your arm and you wouldn't listen to him he was trying to call out to you when you were you know when you were around your friends that first time and they had the joint and you were like passing it around going hey you want to try and you thought oh this is innocent it's just marijuana it's legal now i can do it everything is good and when your mind starts getting in that area you are already messed up and now here you are to, uh, six sheets to the wind, drunk as a skunk, can't get off of alcohol, and now you're sitting here looking, where's God? God is exactly where He has been. Now, with that, I, su- I come to you and I say, come back, repent. You rejected what wisdom clearly reached out to you and declared, and so she laughs. And I do want to say this before we we uh, misinterpret wisdom here she doesn't it doesn't say she laughs at all calamity it doesn't say that she's laughing at all dread or all distress or all anguish so before you start getting the exception to the rule I want you to remember proverbs are general truths she's not laughing at all calamity she's not sitting here laughing at all dread that would be improper what is she laughing at she is laughing only at that which is the result of your rejection of her Because she is vindicated by the consequences of that rejection. You want me to put it to you simply? You will reap what you sow. And the laughter here, ladies and gentlemen, before we start personifying this with our own sin, it is not one of cruelty this laughter is a laughter that expresses the folly of rejecting in arrogance and pride that which was sent to free you from the very calamity that you are experiencing. That's what you got to remember. The reason she was trying to come to you in the first place was for what? To keep you out of this mess. And you just wouldn't listen. And now she laughs. Huh. So now you want to come back, huh? So that's the call that's been refused now I want you to third to see the call unanswered 28 through 33 here and I'm going to conclude in this she changes from second person to third person notice it says they will call on me now lady wisdom she's no longer speaking to the fool directly to the individual but to all of us who are fools notice the verbs and their order I want you to notice did you notice that in 28 through 23 call seek find make sense heard that before call seek find they will call but I will not answer in their distresses they are now led to pray but you're not finding any answer no answers are being given now many of your theological paradigms have no space for this but that's what it says you rejected wisdom you didn't want her you find yourself experiencing the consequences of your actions, and now all of a sudden you want to pray for wisdom? Hey, listen, you were foolish then, you are foolish now, and if you think wisdom is going to come and rescue you from your pain and your problems and your circumstances, you are wrong. You now need to become wise, deal with your consequences, and come back to her and seek her where she is. wisdom says there will come a time when you will call and I will not answer why because you refused her in the time of grace beloved come to my tear-worn couch in my office where so many have refused wisdom and they find themselves asking and even begging God for a reprieve and they find no answer and they will then seek her diligently and they will not find her to seek diligently means in every space Then we are given a reminder. Why? Why are you not able to find her? Listen, the reason you can't find her is because you hated knowledge and you did not choose the fear of the Lord. They would not accept my counsel. They spurned my reproof, she says. They will eat of the fruit of their own way and be satiated or filled with their own devices. Their calamities are the very result of their choices. Our punishment is grounded in our sin, and because of this, you are going to be satiated at the fruit of the schemes in which you've trusted in. And then she ends in contrast. For the waywardness of the naive, or the desire on the part of the simple to turn away, to defect, will kill them. I want you to get this next part because it is stunning to me. The complacency, or another word here, is that the propensity, prosperity of fools will destroy them. Have you heard that? The prosperity of fools. Will destroy them their carnal security was all brought about by their foolishness a foolishness that they now discover security or acceptance that they thought was going to provide security or acceptance is now destroying them I want a warning here beloved that ease is greater threat to us than pain ease is a greater threat to us than pain We endure adversity, but ease will make fools mad and ultimately and inevitably destroy themselves. The crazy part for the fool, it was success in their plans that led to their destruction. But now we want to leave here with a thought of our own hearts. Because it says, but he who listens to me shall live securely and will be at peace from the dread of evil. Did you hear me? Let me read it again just in case you missed it. But he who listens to me shall live securely and will be at peace from the dread of, wi- of evil. Wisdom says, if you will listen to her, she, the, and you will enjoy the fruit of what? Security and peace. To live with security. To live with confidence, to live with assurance. Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a what? Foretaste of glory divine. Heir of salvation, purchased of God, born of his spirit. This is more than temporal security. It is the spiritual peace of righteousness. All three times it's used in the Psalms when it speaks about this, it speaks of God's enabling to dwell in security. You see, wisdom uh, wisdom that God provides to his own. Wisdom's promise that those who listen to her will live with security and peace despite a world of distraction and destruction. Ladies and gentlemen, these are not prospective thoughts. These are possessive things. The one pastor said of our affluent society where we measure men by their bank accounts, size of their houses, and types of cars they drive, he asks, are we enjoying the prosperity of fools and living in a fool's paradise? Beloved, I want us to leave with this truth, that we would listen to wisdom, and therefore we would listen to God so that we too may discover what peace and security for ladies and gentlemen we know now what the writer of Proverbs never could have known he couldn't have seen it he didn't know it he didn't understand it but we do now in first Corinthians chapter 1 verse 30 listen to what Paul writes first Corinthians chapter 1 verse 30 but by doing but by his doing you are in Christ who became to us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption you see for us faith family Christ is wisdom from God Paul would say to the Colossians in chapter 2 verse 3 that in Christ are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge we speak with wisdom for us because it's found in Christ Listen to what Paul told the Corinthians. He says this, "'Yet we do not speak among those who are mature, "'a wisdom, however, not of this age, "'nor of the rulers of this age who are passing away. "'But we speak God's wisdom in a mystery, "'the hidden wisdom which God predestined "'before the ages of our glory, "'the wisdom which none of the rulers of this age "'has understood, for if they had understood it, "'they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. "'But just as it is written,' things which eye has not seen or hear has not heard and which have not entered the heart of man, all that God has prepared for those who love them. For to us, God revealed them through the Spirit, for the Spirit searches all things, even the depths of God. So beloved wisdom, true wisdom, begins by seeing what God has done for us in Christ. Do you want to know what the most common refrain is from those in which I have spoken with for doing wrong? Why did you do wrong? I didn't know. I didn't know. And here in the Bible we are found that that excuse is implicitly rejected wisdom isn't a hidden treasure she roams the streets looking for a student to which she will reveal the incarnation of wisdom which is jesus christ through the spirit of wisdom which is the holy spirit given by the father of wisdom which is father god will you listen Will you listen? And by the way, this wisdom isn't academic. For those of you who read 30 books a year, congratulations, but wisdom isn't academic. Wisdom is deeply personal and deeply theological. What lies in the balance for you this morning and throughout this week in relationship to the Word and the preaching of which you have just heard? Nothing much. Only salvation, security, and peace. No big deal here. Carry on. But it is a big deal. Because what is every, every, every body in that chair looking for in our day? Salvation, security, and peace, are you not? What is going to save me from where I am? how am I going to experience peace in the days in which it seems like all hell around us is breaking loose and how am I going to know in the end it's all going to matter I'd like to introduce you to a woman by the name of Lady Wisdom and she comes from none other than God revealed to us in Christ and provided through his spirit Will you please stand to your feet in honor of god's word as we prepare to respond to the preaching of god's word If you're joining with us for the first time this morning I want you to know that every sunday morning we respond to god's word in one of two ways The first way is those who do not have christ as his as their lord his or her lord or savior We would call you to obviously repent and believe for in christ. We have the wisdom of god revealed to us that christ came He lived the life that we couldn't live, died the death that we deserve to die. God in the flesh died on our behalf. He was the propitiation, the payment for our sin. Your sin has been paid for by Christ. He rose from the dead in his resurrection to demonstrate the fact that he has defeated death, hell, and the grave. And so therefore, we would call you to that wisdom is in Christ so I'm calling you to repent and believe in him. If you have never done that, we would call that today would be the day of salvation for you. And if you would follow through, the Bible says that the outward demonstration of that inward faith would be demonstrated in baptism, which means to be dunked beneath the water and to be brought back up to identify with the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And if that is you in this place this morning and you're without Christ and you would like to follow and you would like to believe and you would like to trust in him, I would call you to do that before it's eternally too late. If you don't know what that means if you need help after the service we're more than willing to help you so that's the first step the first step is obviously to come to Jesus who is the wisdom of God the second step is now for those of us who are believers so if you're an unbeliever in here this morning and you're going to push away from God's table we would respect that as your wish as your conscience desires but on the flip side of that this next part is only for believers you are more than welcome to come up you are more than welcome to watch, but if you are not a believer, we would ask for you not participate in the elements. Why? Because this is what we call the Lord's Supper. And what we do is we participate in two elements, two symbols that represent who Christ is, the bread and the fruit of the vine. And we participate in that because it represents Christ's body and his blood. So if you are a believer this morning, Regardless of your church affiliation, regardless of where you're a member, we would invite you to come and participate in the Lord's Supper and here is why. Because when we hear a message of wisdom like we have just heard, we realize that we fall short. Amen. Have you do you fall short? I know I fall short. And I need to know that my hope is not built on me, but it's built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and his righteousness. So what do we do every Sunday morning? Every Sunday morning, we're gonna gather around the Lord's table together and we're gonna bring the elements to our mouth. We're gonna taste of it. We're gonna be reminded that the wisdom of God was not in me anyway. It's in him and I need him. I need him. So church, before we do that, Before we come to this table in an unworthy manner, I'm going to ask that now we individually, personally, reflect on the message that has been preached, our consciences have been pricked by the Holy Spirit, and may we come to Him and confess our sin. What we're going to do right now is we're going to bow our heads and go before our great God and King as individuals. We will confess our sin. I will end in a corporate confession, and then we will come to this table, grab our elements, go back to our seats, and participate together. So... For those of you who are believers with me, will you please pray to our God and King through our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ that we may be forgiven of our lack of wisdom, knowledge, and understanding and come back to him. Let us pray.